Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Thursday, December 5th, and we have got Championship Weekend Preview. We're going to break down the ACC Championship, of course, but we're also going to bring you the rest of the Power 5. You know, it's uh, it's a great weekend. It's fun to talk about the game. So Chowder and Grits is going to be your one-stop shop for all of the big games across college football this weekend. Uh, you know, we've got some potentially big news out of Blacksburg with uh, a new Hokies defensive coordinator. We'll talk about who that guy is, and uh, we'll talk about some other things as well. But first off, Tim, what's uh, what's going on? Oh, I'm just sitting here watching Virginia, actually just went final, get absolutely annihilated by Purdue. And you know, and, and this is I'm speaking obviously of the ACC Bank Tech Challenge, so college basketball. Virginia having a lot of trouble scoring the basketball this year. Oh, is that something new? Is that a new yeah, trend well, for them? Let's just say because I mean, getting, scoring forty points is like a season high. Typically. Yeah, well, it's just it's worse than usual, and uh, you've yet. Yeah, I am not complaining. This warms my cold, cold heart. Um, but UVA is going to have trouble this year. They don't seem to have any. Uh, scorer like they've had the past few years and um you know it's, it's going to be a problem all year they just don't look very good now they will always play defense and play defense i mean they will foul and not get called for it continually uh, but they will always play good defense um so you can count on that but uh this virginia team uh not good at scoring the basketball yeah well when you lose your top three players you know there's bound to be some kind of uh step back in the sure. program so sure you know we'll see what oh they only scored 38 points goodness gracious yeah that is horrific so yeah rough day for them big game for the Hokies coming up on Friday they they host Duke um in Blacksburg I think that game is set for seven o'clock Friday night so uh be sure to tune into that Hokies obviously coming off a of Maui Invitational with an upset win over Michigan State but uh, they then dropped the next two games to Dayton and BYU. Those two schools could easily be uh, NCAA tournament teams. I think Dayton will probably finish the season ranked. They look pretty good to me. Yeah. So yeah, Dayton looked great. Um, you know, not too worried about the other two losses. That's going to happen given where this team is um, and, and what kind of team we expect to be. Obviously, we're going to have front court issues all year with a lack of height and not a whole lot you can do and not a whole lot you can scheme around there. Um, you just try to, to have to make it up on the other end in some cases and really, really like what I've seen from Mike Young and the way he uh, he coaches basketball. A lot of cutting, a lot of motion off the ball, which I really appreciate. Um, so it's been fun watching. You know, if we're going to lose a lot this of year, threes. at least we're going to lose hucking and chucking it, baby. That's what I'm all about. So, you know, it'll be exciting to watch. But look, we got a signature win already in the books. We were 1-0 in the ACC, absolutely undefeated in the ACC. Um, so yeah, who knows what could happen, man? Yeah, I think the thing with Mike Young, I mean, came into this season uh, with, you know, tampered expectations, uh, a very young basketball team, uh, a lot of new faces uh, from, you know, if we're comparing it to last season. The thing missing in this Mike Young team right now is a, a big man. You know, he's a guy who typically likes to have a uh, a center more or less, which is a position that seems to have disappeared in basketball, um, at least in some instance. But, you know, if Virginia Tech is able to to get a big man down there that can play consistently and throughout the game, I think they're 
they're going to be a force to watch. I mean, especially with a guy like Landers Nolly. I mean, you take Landers Nolly away from this team, I, I don't know how good they are. But <laughs> uh, Landers Nolly is a star. Yeah. And I mean, he can if, fill he, it if up. he can hang on, if, if he can, you know, stay in Blacksburg for another season or two, you know, I think this team has a chance to make some noise. So we'll see what happens. It's still uh, early on for the Hokies, you know, still uh, – you know, good reason to be optimistic. They're six and two, one and zero in the ACC. Host Duke on Friday, so uh, that'll be a fun game to watch. Some other big news in Blacksburg, Tim. So we've got. It seems like it's all but finalized, all but done, all but announced. Maybe it may even be done. Uh, unfortunately, it sounds like Bud Foster's mom passed away. Yeah. Uh, so that was some news that kind of hit the wire today. So. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I think out of respect, Virginia Tech may delay some kind of announcement for a day or two um, just to kind of, you know, get past that out of respect for Bud. Um, obviously, a tough situation there. Um, it sounds like Barry Odom's going to be the guy. So Barry Odom, he is uh, the former head coach from the Missouri Tigers. You know, he's a guy. He's only 43 years old. Uh, he went 25 and 25 in his time as head coach. He coached from 16 through this season. Uh, replaced Gary Pinkle. You know, he's a guy who spent the majority of his career in the Mizzou program. If you look at Barry Odom, he just looks like defense. Oh my gosh! You know? Right? He, he looks, just looks like defense. He, he looks like a bulldog wearing a hat, and I love yeah. that. About he, him. he looks like if you take his football photo from like 19, you know, 96 through 99, whatever, you know stage headshot football photo you want to take of him if you just put like a retro filter on that you know you would feel like there's some kind of linebacker award that's named after barry odom that's how much like defense he looks oh yeah it's crazy he looks like those extended backboards that football players used to wear you remember those things Oh yeah, no, he's definitely got the neck roll oh, going yeah. on. Oh yeah, you know, the the, uh, <laughs> the extended like you know board up the back, like oh, over man. top of his helmet. See, like, that was always my favorite. Like you knew the toughest player on the other team was going to be wearing a neck roll and extended backboard situation. Um, you know, like Zach Thomas. I feel like Zach Thomas. I, I don't know if Zach Thomas actually wore a neck Zach roll or Thomas. a backboard, but God, if he isn't the type of player that I'm referring to right now. Here's a name for you, Corey Schlesinger. Wow, that's a name. Big, big neck roll guy. <laughs> big neck roll but guy. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Barry Odom looks like. But, you know, despite as much as he looks like football, this is a guy who, uh, you know, he started as a graduate assistant at Missouri in 2003, you know, stayed there up until he joined uh, Justin Fuente and, uh, at Memphis. So... He uh, he became the defensive coordinator at Memphis in 2012. You know when when Odom and Fuente got there, they had only won five games in the previous three seasons combined. They only had 37 guys on scholarships. Right. You know they went four and eight in 2012, three and nine in uh, 2013, and then they won 10 games in 2014, including the American Athletic Conference Championship. You know the thing that I thought was impressive is Odom from a defensive standpoint. He took Memphis from being 117th in the nation in total defense up to 51st in 2012, 39th and 13, and 28th in 2014. So that's a uh, pretty incredible rise. Um, you know, I think he's a guy. He obviously brings a lot of head coaching experience. 
You know, he is a Missouri. Missouri, whenever I hear Missouri, I think Big 12, but it is an SEC school. So he brings somewhat of an SEC footprint. You know, people think he will bring um, SEC recruits, and I know it sounds like we're talking about this like it's a done deal. It's possible that it may not happen, but it really sounds like he's going to be the guy. Yeah. So, I mean, um, the Twitter t- tea leaves are just off the charts for for Odom, and if it just if if he doesn't uh, get hired, um, this would be the weirdest thing ever because the amount of signs pointing to him being the defensive coordinator are all but a done deal, but anything is possible, obviously, because we've got no announcement. He could back out at the 23rd hour. There are plenty of things that could happen, but yes, uh, just to clarify, um, anything certainly is possible, but this is looking like a done deal. Yeah, you know, I think it'll be a great hire for Virginia Tech. Um, you know, anytime you can bring a guy in with head coaching experience, a guy who's familiar with your head coach, who's worked under your head coach, who's had success under your head coach, you know, I think that gives you an advantage. Um, you know, obviously coming from the SEC, you know, maybe it kind of expands uh, Virginia Tech's reach from a recruiting standpoint. Maybe he's able to uh, persuade some guys that he recruited to Missouri from, um, sure. you know, from going to Missouri to Blacksburg. You know, it sounds like, you know, the news of him getting fired was was devastation in the locker room. So he's a guy that, you know, players seem to kind of flock to that really like to play for. So I think anytime you're bringing in a coach like that, um, who does have you know an ample amount of experience? You know, I, it can only mean it can only mean good things for uh, for a program like Virginia Tech, especially when he'll be in a situation where he's replacing a legend, yeah. very similar to Justin Fuente. And I think being able to kind of talk to Fuente about what that feels like, because Odom will always be measured against Bud Foster. You know, that's just the way it's going to be. Just like Fuente's always measured up against Frank Beamer. And we talked about it a little bit in the last episode. You know, Justin Fuente has done better in his first four seasons than Frank Beamer did in his last four seasons. But the perception is that that's not the case. So you're always fighting this perception that's out there. And that's because of, you know, what Frank Beamer did for the program. It's the program that he built. Um, you know, Bud Foster was a big part of that, but, you know, I think this is kind of the next step in the Justin Fuente era. You know, again, if it does come to fruition, uh, we think it will. So, uh, I think it's a great hire for Virginia Tech. Uh, I think Hokie fans should be excited about it. Um, and we'll see what happens. So, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's good news heading into, into the, into the, uh, I guess the postseason with one bowl and then, then the off season to follow. Yeah, I mean, it's great news. And, you know, for me, and and I think for anyone who's looking at this rationally, if this comes to fruition, it should be looked at as a complete uh, home run hire. Uh, And I'm not sure there's any other way to spin it. Getting a guy like Barry uh, to come to Virginia Tech and replace the legend that is Bud Foster uh, is somewhat of a coup. The timing worked out great. The connection to Fuente, you know, is probably a lot of the reason this is going to end up happening. Um, and look, the, the guy runs a different scheme. He runs a three, four, as opposed to the four, two, five, that bud runs. Um, there's going to be changes. No, he's not a Virginia tech guy like Torian gray. Um, but he's someone that's absolutely proven not only as a defensive coordinator, but as a head coach, if you go back and look at what Mizzou did under Barry, it wasn't bad. Um, th- this wasn't a guy that completely fell flat on his face like Chad Morris at Arkansas. 
you know, Barry, Barry did pretty well at Mizzou and, and considering where Mizzou is, um, in, in the fact that they're in the sec and they're not one of those blue blood programs, that's always going to be a tough road to hoe. Um, I'm, I'm excited about what he brings from a coordinator standpoint. You know, he took Memphis, uh, all the way from 117th in total defense, uh, in 2011 and in three years had them at 28th at Memphis. Uh, that's impressive, especially when you consider what Memphis was doing on offense at the time. You know, they, they were a quick tempo team scoring fast. Um, and that puts a lot of pressure on a defense, you know, Missouri again, had great defenses. I think he may have even had a top 10 defense at Missouri one year, um, which is huge. And when you talk about uh, recruiting, he was able to get Kelly Bryant to come to Missouri and Kelly Bryant was a guy that every football program wanted. So he, he's really checking off all the boxes for me. And as you mentioned, complete neck roll guy, complete football guy, um, and a guy that I think could bring what Bud brought, which is not something that every defensive coordinator brings. But Bud talks to the entire team. Bud is a fire. Uh, he's a spark plug. You know, he, he's very motivational, very fired up, uh, different from Fuente. Uh, Fuente being very reserved. Again, he can tune it up when he needs to, but... I think we're going to get that same kind of fire. I feel, like, I feel like pictures we've seen from Fuente in the locker room, he's not so reserved in there. Not so reserved, but he's not Bud Foster at the same time. Um, and, and I think that level of, of the passionate guy next to Fuente on the football field, uh, you know, from what I've seen of Barry, it seems like he will replace that aspect of Bud Foster. So I couldn't be happier. I am surprised by the amount of negative reaction I'm seeing. Uh, from some Hokie fans on Twitter, which I shouldn't be surprised because Twitter can be a cesspool at times. Um, but yeah, I'm just not seeing it. I, there's really no negative I can find in this situation other than I think some people are so uh, against Fuente at this point in time that because he's quote-unquote a Fuente guy, um, that he's dead on arrival for some people. But, but make no mistake, as far as I'm concerned, uh, home run higher, and you really, if this comes to fruition, Virginia Tech couldn't have done any better. Yeah, I don't know how you could possibly look at this hire as a negative um, other than you're just a very negative person. Because to me, it, it tells me two things. One, it tells me Fuente's here for the long haul. You know, sure. He's trying to build a program. He's bringing in guys that he's familiar with. You know, Odom is a guy who left to go back home to Missouri to be the defensive coordinator there under Gary Pinkle. And then Pinkle had to retire because of uh, cancer. You know, So he stepped away. And Odom took over the reins, and so it was a great opportunity for him. He got four years of head coaching experience. They obviously didn't live up to expectations this season, which I think is the big reason that he was let go. Uh, it was a program that, you know, was, um, you know, unable to to play in the postseason. They did have a postseason ban this year, but it was also a team that did have expectations. They had gotten Kelly Bryant from Clemson um, as a transfer quarterback. You know, they were picked by some to be a sleeper team in the SEC, uh, but ended up going 6-6, six and six, had a couple of bad losses in there. So, you know, it is what it is. It didn't work out this year for whatever reason. But, uh, and, and you know, Missouri's loss is Virginia Tech's gain at this keep, point. Keep in mind, we're talking defense here. They struggled a bit, right? Nobody likes to see their football program going 500. But Barry Odom at Missouri gave up 30-plus points on one occasion, one time this year. The rest of the way out, they averaged 17.8 points per game allowed in the SEC. That's incredible. Um, yeah, and, and I'll say this. Uh, I mean, look at Charlie Strong, for example. You know, that was a guy who 
was a tier one defensive coordinator when he was at the University of Florida. It hasn't worked out for him as a head coach. You know, he went to Texas. That didn't work. He just got fired from South Florida. Um, So, I mean, some guys, you know, hey, they don't have as much success at a head coaching level as they may as a defensive coordinator. So I don't think him being 25 and 25 in four years and having a down season at Missouri in in 2019 has anything to do with him as a defensive coordinator. I think from a defensive coordinator standpoint, you know, he's got a proven track record. You know, Fuente didn't believe in him. He he wouldn't even interview the guy. So, uh, yeah, you know, if if you're – I just can't imagine seeing this as a negative. Um, sure. And, you know, if you are, then maybe just kind of hush it up for and a little bit. And sh- shout out to Hokie Sports on Twitter for that uh, statistic. I think that was a good nugget you pulled out there. Um, and just further illustrates the point that Barry's just been consistently good at putting out good defenses. And, and Justin, as you know – uh, Virginia Tech, not the only uh, team in the ACC looking for a defensive coordinator. And one team has finalized uh, you know, their replacement, and, and in this case, NC State, pulling Tony Gibson uh, and promoting him from co-defensive coordinator to defensive coordinator after firing Dave Huxtable, who had long since worn out his welcome in Raleigh. Um, so with Tony Gibson, NC State getting a guy who runs a 3-3-5 stack uh, and has for a very long time at West Virginia. He was defensive coordinator uh, at West Virginia with Dana Holgerson for six years. Um, saw a lot of success with the Mountaineers, uh, was Big 12 uh, Defense Coordinator of the Year at least once. Um, and really uh, kind of impressive to consider uh, some of the statistics he was able to put up, given that the Big 12 really doesn't play defense at all and, and is home to some of the most high-flying offenses in college football. Um, so th- this basically just further entrenches NC State in the thinking that they are going to stick with a 3-3-5 moving forward. I think for NC State, it's a good uh, decision. I think Tony Gibson is a highly thought of guy, and I think he can be a great defensive coordinator um, and, and a big-time recruiter. So for the Wolfpack, I think it's a good choice, and I think it frees up a lot of money for NC State to make some changes on the offensive side as far as uh, their coaching goes and their play calling goes. So overall, a good move, tidy. I think it's what everybody expected when Huxtable was let go, um, but need to see a, a replacement in the ACC for a defensive coordinator nonetheless. Um, and, and cross our fingers. Hopefully the Hokies follow suit with their own announcement uh, in short order. Yeah, another note there, you know, I think Tony Gibson was a great choice for for Dorn as, as DC. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Jake Bentley. I'm sure you're familiar if you're listening to this, uh, but uh, quarterback at South Carolina has entered the transfer portal. You know, I think NC State makes a whole lot of sense for Jake Bentley, and it makes a whole lot of sense for NC State to go out and get a guy like that for kind of a one-year bridge to uh, to get an actual quarterback in that system. So Agreed. Bentley's a guy who he got hurt earlier in the year, uh, missed the majority of the season, uh, but you know was named captain as a sophomore quarterback there in South Carolina, had some success. Um, so. Yeah, I think that would be a knockout transfer situation for NC State and uh, really give that program some stability at a position where they haven't really had to worry about stability for quite a long time. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you'd be great. Uh, You know, 2018, with the help of Debo Samuel, put up a pretty good stat line going over 3,000 yards, 27 touchdowns. Uh, The the guy's got talent. Um, You know, I think a lot of people were soured on the fact that he was injured last year, didn't play a whole lot. Um, but you know, Jake Bentley from Opelika, Alabama, 
I think he'd be a great fit for NC State, certainly any football program that wanted him. But if we're talking about NC State, uh, who was the last NC State starting quarterback from the great state of Alabama, Justin? Ooh, uh, how long ago are we talking here? Uh, 2002. Ooh, 2002. Who would it it have been in 2002? That would be the great Philip Rivers. I thought Rivers was from Nashville. No, he's from Alabama. Oh, okay. Because I was like, okay, well, I thought Rivers was an 02, but then I was like, no, he's from Nashville. So, okay, interesting. uh, Yep, coach's son from Alabama, and uh, Jericho Cotri, too, also from Alabama. Uh, just throwing that out there. There you go, former uh, former New York Jet. There you Amen. go. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Um, all right. So let's let's talk about let's talk about these games, Tim. Let's do it. So Virginia at Clemson. Oh, you know what? First, first, I want to highlight one thing. The all ACC teams came out, Ugh. and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. But I just want to make two points. Uh, you know, congratulations to everybody that was on there. You know, no. Uh, no hard feelings either way. I just find it odd that you have a linebacker. I'm not going to name names. He made the Defensive Player of the Week award. He won it five times this season and didn't make all ACC first team. Rashard Ashby is who I'm talking about. Of course. Uh, pretty shocked. Pretty shocked about that. Um, you know, the guys that were listed on first team, you know, you know, who do you take off? You know, I'm, I'm not going to be the one to decide that, but just kind of uh, a little bit surprised about that one. Oscar Bradburn as well. You know, a guy who's just being left off of all kinds of lists, not, not a Ray Guy finalist. Uh, honorable mention um, on the All-ACC. Literally one of the best punters in the country. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, I think a couple of the guys there were overlooked a little bit, but just yeah. just my two cents. And shout out to two guys. I mean, when you're talking about Bradburn, he should be winning the Ray Guy Award. I'm not really sure what he did to voters to to either make them so mad or or to uh, you know give them the impression that he's not a good punter. Um, but he's been absolutely revolutionary uh, in a complete revelation, to use another uh, similar sounding word. Uh, to Virginia Tech, his punting has been so consistent, so good all year. And uh, Rayshard Ashby, a total neck roll guy, um, you know, just tough as nails. And, and Rayshard Ashby tackles. might be Barry Odom in like twenty four years. That's a great point. And you know what? The more that I think about it, I would love Barry Odom to coach Rayshard Ashby um, because I was looking at some highlights of Barry Odom when he played at Missouri, and let me tell you, that guy got after it on the football field. Um, you know, so. Rayshard, getting back to him, I don't know how you make ACC linebacker of the week five times and don't win the award, um, but well done, ACC. I expect nothing less. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Uh, well done. All right, so let's talk about the game here. So we'll start with the uh, ACC championship game, of course. So we've got Virginia at Clemson. Clemson is a 28.5-point favorite, which is always what you want in your conference championship game. So, you know... Here's here's a quote that I pulled from Dabo, which I think is, you know, what their mindset has been. We're the best darn team in the country, and y'all see it every Saturday. Stay tuned. And really, since he's kind of said that, that was basically in response to uh, not being in the top four of the first college football playoff poll that was released. Uh, a team that has now won 27 straight games, 
you know, they're looking for their fifth college football playoff berth in a row. And, you know, before we really kind of get started on it, I really want to see Clemson win it again. Just from the standpoint of the disrespect this team has gotten all season. Because if you look at what they've done, they've won the ACC title every year since 2015. Beat UNC in 15, the Hokies in 16, Miami in 17, Pitt in 18. You know, the Coastal Carousel hasn't phased them. It's featured a different team every year. It's going to feature a new team this year in Virginia. You know, it's it's the only team that really came close to beating them was Virginia Tech in 2016. You know, it was a Gerard Evans-led team. Uh, there was a game-ending turnover with very few, uh, I think there was under a minute left in the game. Virginia Tech was driving. You know, there was a chance that they lost. That's the year they went on to win the uh, win the national championship for the first, first time in, in their current streak. So, you know, Clemson is not afraid. They are, however, determined. And, and, you know, since being left out of that initial college football playoff poll, they've been on an absolute tear. They know they can't afford a misstep. You know, this is a team that's won 27 straight games, and somehow every game has turned into a playoff game for them. It's unheard of. Yeah. And, you know, I say that, and you've got a team like Georgia with a horrendous loss to South Carolina, and they're sitting there right now at number four in the college football playoff picture. So maybe it's because Clemson, they're not a standard blue blood like a Alabama, Ohio State, or a Michigan. And you can't tell me, you cannot tell me, if those teams were on a 27-game win streak and happened to lose a game to anybody that they wouldn't be in the college football playoff regardless, regardless of schedule, okay? Especially if they're undefeated, that they'd be sitting there as a three seed. Trevor Lawrence has never lost. He has not lost one time in college. So what is it that Clemson needs to do? You know, just think about this. The Clemson defense this year is better than last year's team. They had three players picked in the top 17 of the NFL draft. They had five in the top 100 from the defense. Okay, I'm not even talking about the offense here. Right. So that's a team that held Notre Dame to three points in the college football playoff semifinal and beat Alabama 44-16 to in the national championship. They've held every opponent this season under 300 yards of total offense. Opponents are averaging... Only 10.1 points per game. That's good for first in the nation in scoring defense. They rank second in yards per game allowed at 232. They rank seventh in turnover margin at plus 11. And their red zone touchdown rate is 38.1%, side for fifth defensively. Mm. Offensively, Tim, why don't we talk about the offense? Let's do it. Travis Etienne, nation's best running back when gaining yards after contact. Last week became the ACC's all-time leader in rushing touchdowns with 53 and total touchdowns with 57. The offensive line is up for the Joe Moore Award, which recognizes the nation's best offensive line unit. I did not know that was a thing. Oh, yeah, it is. Uh, Trevor so Lawrence. was Joe Moore an entire offensive line? Uh, yeah, Just one obviously. really, really wide guy? It was the Joe Moore line, clearly. That's all you need. You need to brush up on your history. I will work on it. Trevor Lawrence, you know, completed 18 straight passes against South Carolina last week. Almost 300 yards, three touchdowns. 
He threw more interceptions through the first five games of this season than he did all of last year. He hasn't thrown an interception since. He's finished in the top five in completion percentage in October and November. The only other player to do that has been Joe Burrow. Probably going to win the Heisman. Yep. Clemson's top six receivers all average 10 yards per catch. And they all have at least 16 catches. T. Higgins averages 20.9 yards per catch. So we haven't talked a whole lot about Clemson on this podcast because they've just been so dominant. They've been favored so heavily in every game. You know, the only game that was really kind of a, you know, uh, an eye catcher was the game against North Carolina. So they're a four touchdown favorite against UVA. I'd say there's maybe a chance they don't cover. Maybe. But it would have to be an all-time meltdown against UVA if they were to lose this game. Yeah. And, you know, Virginia is obviously coming off of last week's, you know, enormous victory against Virginia Tech. Essentially, it was their Super Bowl, their national championship. So everything the program, the UVA program, has been focused on since Bronco Mendenhall has gotten there. It's been focused on beating Virginia Tech. So they have to go from that mindset, a quick turnaround week, coming off an emotional high in order to prepare for probably the best team in the country. Until I see them lose, I will say that. If Virginia wants to win, here's how I think they have to do it, Tim. They have to hope Bryce Perkins has a repeat performance from last week. I'd say that's highly unlikely. You know, the pro football focus, I don't know if you're familiar. They had a stat that showed that 100% of the pass attempts targeted at Virginia Tech safeties against against UVA last week, they were all completed. That's uh, not ideal. That's not going to happen against Clemson. No. UVA is a team that likes to dominate time of possession and does a pretty good job at converting third-town conversions. They've averaged... To hold on to the ball 33 minutes this season. They rank 27th nationally in third down conversion percentage. Clemson's defense, on the other hand, holds one of the nation's best three and out rates at around 51%. So Virginia's going to somehow have to figure out how to win that battle if they stand any chance to win. And last but not least, and this is the most critical one, they're going to have to hope Trevor Lawrence forgets how to throw a football. <laughs> because... Basically, I don't see any way this UVA defense is going to be able to stop Trevor Lawrence and or his receivers from running up and down the field. Right. And, you know, nothing against UVA. They're clearly banged up in the secondary. You know, Virginia Tech is a team. It's a run-heavy team. It's a team that likes to use a lot of, you know, I'm not going to say trickeration, but misdirection in their offense. Clemson is a team that can beat you on the ground or it can beat you through the air, can beat you both ways. It doesn't really matter. Clemson will find a way to beat you. And Virginia's just not built to beat Clemson. No. Nobody in the I SEC mean, I was going to say, yeah, that's no one is, but sure. So this is going to be the fifth straight year Clemson wins. I think they do win this game in dominant fashion. Um, I just... Again, like what we said about Virginia Tech, Bryce Perkins, he's a he's a one-man band on offense. And you cannot get away with that against a team like Clemson. They're too dominant. They're too strong from top to bottom. 
I don't know if Clemson covers. I think they come pretty close. Um, what does that mean for next week? We'll talk about it a little bit later, but I don't know what your thoughts are, Tim, but I assume they're kind of in line with what I what yeah, I've I mean, down there. Come on. It, it This game is probably going to be uh, very anticlimactic. Uh, UVA does not have the athletic ability outside of their quarterback to hang with Clemson. So the issue uh, for UVA, obviously, is going to be, um, you know, virtually all of their offense goes through one player. And that may work on every other team in the ACC, but it won't work on Clemson due to the team speed. Um, You know, Perkins is going to be running for his life. Uh, You know, so there's going to be a lot of designed runs for Perkins, a lot of quick throws, um, because that, that Clemson front, which seemingly somehow reloaded overnight after losing three of their best players, um, has just completely looked great again this year. And Perkins is going to uh, be seeing a lot of pressure, which is nothing new. The UVA offensive line has not been great this year. Um, but it's not going to get any easier when, when Clemson rolls into town for a championship, uh, for an orange pants game, if you will. Um, and, you know, for Clemson, this game is everything, right? I mean, they come in with a chip on their shoulder, whether it's warranted or not. And Dabo's, I'm sorry, Dabo is certainly leaning into it. Um, you know, they think that the playoff committee doesn't want to see them in the playoffs, and they are going to do everything they need to do to prove unequivocally that Clemson deserves it. And for UVA, uh, that does not spell good things. And that's not a knock on UVA in particular. Any ACC team would be facing the same fate. Uh, UVA just had a good enough year to be the ones that are going to be rewarded with a colossal beatdown from Clemson at the end of the year. Um, And that's not, again, not a knock on UVA. They're the second best team in the ACC. Um, It's just not going to be good enough this year with Clemson. Uh, which is becoming a familiar thing. It's it's the conference of Clemson and everyone else nipping at their heels. And I, I think that will change slowly as better coaching gets settled in the ACC. But right now, that's that's where we are. Um, defensively, the wide receivers for Clemson are going to have a field day on a depleted secondary. I mean, you thought T. Higgins and Justin Ross were already hard enough to cover. Well, just rate when you're trying to cover them with your third-string cornerback. Uh, it's it's going to be almost impossible for them to slow that Clemson attack down. Uh, what can UVA do well? They can pressure the quarterback well, and they'll have to pressure Trevor Lawrence, which is 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 hard enough in its own right. Um, but you know, Trevor. They'll be been, going up against the best offensive line right. they faced all season. Well, yeah, they're going up against Joe Moore, and Joe as Moore. everyone knows, you you can't you can't get past him. He is wide. Um, but they are going to do everything they can, and Trevor since, you know, mid-season has looked especially locked in um, and is just playing great football. The entire Clemson team is. They are on a campaign like Sherman's March to just burn and torch everything in their way, um, and they will do that in my mind. So, you know, I'm not so sure that UVA is going to be able to keep it close. I do think Clemson will cover because I have said every year, oh, that spread team seems too far there's no way Clemson is going to be able to score 34 and a half points against Georgia Tech um, or insert any team here. And I'm not going to make that mistake. I think Clemson wins. They win big and they cover. Um, and, and they go marching on to wreak havoc in the college football playoffs. And as far as the bowl picture for UVA on the back end of that, I'm not sure because it gets really muddy if they're not ranked after losing that game. Um, 
So who knows? That 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 part's a wild card. But one thing's for sure, Clemson's not going to lose this game. Yeah, so let's speak on that for a second. So, I, there, you know, there's been some talk about bowl seeding and whatnot for the ACC and, you know, what it means if Virginia loses. You know, typically, you know, Virginia, they're they're in at 23. They took over Virginia Tech's spot from, from last week. Typically, a team in Virginia's spot isn't going to fall very far. Okay? Right. So, even if they get beat by 28 points or by 30 points, I don't think that's going to, like, shock anyone. Now, if they got beat, like, 70 to 10... That might open some eyes, um, but I think at the end of the day, Virginia will stay ranked. Now, let's say if they don't stay ranked. If they don't stay ranked, then technically the Orange Bowl can choose whatever team they want to between Wake Forest, Virginia, and Virginia Tech to play in the game. We'll go ahead and throw out Wake Forest because they're not going to pick them. No. Okay, So it's between Virginia and Virginia Tech. I'd have a really hard time believing they wouldn't go Virginia just based off of the sole reason that Virginia won the Coastal. So, you know, for Virginia Tech, I think best-case scenario is the Citrus Bowl. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I know what could or could not get them into the Citrus Bowl. You know, it's not a lock that they could get there. Um, I think Notre Dame has a, a chance to play in that bowl, so I'm not sure what exactly the bowl seeding is. You know, I think most likely Virginia Tech's looking at the Belk Bowl. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, but I think the highest bowl that if you're a Virginia Tech fan that you should be expecting, I think best-case scenario at this point is the Citrus Bowl. And yeah. that's what CBS Sports had projected. And, uh, you know, the opponent there that they had Virginia Tech up against was Alabama. So... Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I, I like getting a cupcake team in bowl season. You know, go, go ahead and get you one of those gimme bowl wins. Um, you know, I will say, just to follow up on my point on the We'll reach bowl, out to Paul Feinbaum uh, oh just in case for a preview. Of course. That would be a lot of fun. And he'll certainly accept, as we've been so gracious to him throughout the recording of our podcast. Um, you know, it, if it comes down to UVA not being ranked, I certainly hope the Orange Bowl would choose them because, I, look— I am no UVA fan, um, but but they've left no doubt on the field that they deserve that Orange Bowl bid, and I would ha- it would feel unearned if the Hokies slid into that spot. And I will tell you, the one reason the Orange Bowl may look at doing something like that is just for you know the bottom line. The Hokies travel, um, and the Hokies will put more eyeballs on that TV, right or wrong. Um, you know, that would be a decision or, or one reason that they may make a decision to throw the Hokies in an unearned Orange Bowl like that. But um, for all intents and purposes, I don't think it's going to be an issue. Like you, I don't think UVA will be unranked after losing to Clemson. Um, but, you know, crazier things have happened. Uh, and obviously, I wouldn't expect Virginia Tech to turn down an Orange Bowl bid if it came down to that. But, man, that would... Um, that wouldn't feel great uh, for some reason. That would that would uh, that would feel a, a bit bad uh, in, in the name of sportsmanship. So, um, you know, we'll see I what it comes down to. I think the biggest thing about it is it sets kind of a uh, dangerous precedent a little oh, bit. Oh, I agree. It totally um, does. I think that would be the biggest thing. Would I be disappointed in Virginia Tech's in the Orange Bowl? No. Uh, would it feel the same as having lost the Clemson in the ACC championship game and, you know, being the second best team in the ACC? No. Probably not. 
you yeah. feel kind of like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be in this game type of deal. Yeah. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, I, I don't really think it's really going to happen. I think Virginia is in that game. Um, but, yeah, we'll just see what happens. And, I mean, sure. uh, bowl game's a bowl game. You know, it's good to show out. And, uh, hey, if it's in Charlotte, you know, Virginia Tech will travel well to that. Big footprint in the Charlotte area. So, um, yeah. Plenty of fans will have a chance to uh, to go see the team during bowl season. And if, if we get a nice SEC team, I think I'll make the trip to Charlotte to go see that. Uh, mm, that would be um, that'd be fun. So look, you have one willing customer, Belk Bowl. Outstanding. Uh, so let's talk about the Pac-12 championship. Yeah. So this game is on Friday night. It's at 8 p.m. ABC, Levi Stadium, Santa Clara, California, home of the San Francisco 49ers. The site at which Clemson dismantled Alabama in the national championship game last year, 44 to 16. Just thought I'd throw that in there one more time, Paul Feinbaum. So Utah is a six point favorite, and uh, they are playing Oregon. So for those that don't think Virginia Tech or your school of lesser than tier one status at the moment, has a chance at ever making a college football playoff, I present to you the Utah Utes. Because if Utah can do it, so can your school. Okay? Absolutely. They're ranked fifth in the college football playoff poll, which is an indication that, you know, if they if they win, they're in. You know, that's assuming Georgia loses to LSU. Okay? Even, you know, even if Georgia beat LSU, I don't know. I don't know if Utah doesn't deserve to be in there over Georgia. I would like to see it. I mean, even with my anti-Pac-12 bias, I would like to see a conference champion in over someone like Georgia who can't get over the hump. I mean, we're just going to see the same old retreads if that's the case. You know, if Utah wins, let's see the Utes in the playoffs, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's a team. Tyler Huntley's their quarterback. He ranks fifth in the nation in pass efficiency. You know, they've got a really uh, a good defensive tackle in Bradley Anai. He's got seven sacks. He's the Utah all-time leader in sacks. And then they're running back, Zach Moss, 13th in the nation in rushing yards. He's got 1,246 yards and 15 touchdowns on the ground. So uh, they have a pretty solid offense. You know, they rank fourth in the nation in total defense. So the defense is really what carries this team. It's a very efficient offense. It's a very strong defense. Um you know, and again, they're still a top 10 in total offense. So, you know, they're outscoring opponents by an average margin of 36 to 11. One of the things with Utah this year is they haven't had a strong schedule, um, and they, they do have a loss. They lost to USC in a Friday night game at USC. Uh, they were ranked 22nd at the time. But, you know, people are kind of looking past that. That's not a terrible loss. It's much better than a, a loss to South Carolina, for example. Um, but, you know, this is the second consecutive year where Utah's won the Pac-12 South. They're looking for their first Pac-12 championship. And they're really good at stopping the run. They're really good at getting to the quarterback. Oregon is a team. They're coming in, haven't played pretty inconsistent the last few weeks. You know, Justin Herbert is a big name. He's getting a lot of hype around the NFL. Uh, you know, there was a thought that he could have left last year and still been a top five pick. But, you know, they're coming off a pretty bad loss to Arizona State a few weeks ago. Right. All right. So they're sitting there at 10 and 2. You know, Tyler Huntley is completing 76% of his passes. He's probably going to win Pac 12 Player of the Year. You know, I think Utah ends up getting it done in this game. 
I like their defense. I think Oregon, uh, just for whatever reason, just hasn't been able to play consistently enough over the last few weeks. And, you know, I don't think it's necessary, necessarily, you know, a guarantee Utah wins this game, but I'd be surprised if they don't, just because I think from a overall standpoint, they're better um, just on all sides of the ball compared to Oregon. Yeah, I mean, I think so, too. This is a really close one for me to call because I don't think that there's much separating the two teams, Oregon and Utah. Um, as you mentioned, Utah's kind of been on cruise control since that USC game. Uh, it hasn't really been close, but if you look at the competition in the Pac-12, that's not really surprising. Um, and, you know, their they're out-of-conference matchups left a lot to be desired. Uh, you know, specifically when we're talking about Utah, if you have an out-of-conference schedule consisting of Northern Illinois, Idaho State, and Brigham Young, it's hard to have a much easier ride in. Um, but, you know, they can only they, they can only play who they schedule, and, and Brigham Young typically a stronger team than they have been, although they're going to a bowl game this year, uh, which is good for them with their recent struggles, but still at 7-5 and five as an independent, that's not really a great record, and they've certainly had their own struggles. But, um, as you mentioned, I think Herbert's a great quarterback. Um, I think Huntley's a great quarterback as well. It's really tough to call. Uh, both pretty good offenses going to go head to head. You know, in Santa Clara, the home of of passion. Uh, when you think about college football, the first thing that comes to mind is the Bay Area, after all. So, uh, no real advantage for either team. Both are going to have to travel a, a decent amount to get over there to Santa Clara. Um, and you know, when you look at it, to me. Um, Really, outside of having close games uh, where Utah really hasn't had them, um, you know, I, I think that Oregon is, has looked really good this year at times, and 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 they had definitely have played the the harder out of conference schedule. And if you guys remember, uh, going back to that Auburn game, if it wasn't for heroics from Bo Nix, we'd be talking about uh, an Oregon Ducks team that had a win over Auburn to to open the season. Um, have they slipped up? Sure. I mean, as you mentioned, that Arizona State game was was shockingly poor considering, uh, you know, how Arizona state has played this year. Um, you know, they're seven and five again, but seven and five in the PAC 12 is, is certainly different than seven and five in another conference. Um, it's going to be a toss up for me. I actually think Oregon may win this one because everybody's kind of just, you know, it's been a foregone conclusion in most of the college football shows that I've seen this week that Utah is going to make this decision difficult. Um, because they're going to beat Oregon, and then they they would have to be included. Uh, and and no one's really giving Oregon a lot of credit for being the tough team that I think they are. Um, and, you know, when you talk about USC, uh, USC did end up beating uh, Utah. Oregon ended up beating USC 56-24. to You can't really p- play the transitive property in college football. However, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a butt whooping and a half uh, that Oregon was able to lay on them. Um, and if that's any indication, we're at least going to be looking at a tight, tight game. But, you know, I'll, I'll take Oregon with a touchdown uh, over Utah. Yeah, so, I, you know, if or, let's say Utah does win. And, you know, let's say uh, the Big 12 championship, which I think is the, the other game right now competing for that fourth playoff spot. So, you know, that's between Baylor and Oklahoma. We'll talk about that game in a second. But if Utah wins and Baylor wins... I think there's a chance Baylor takes that final spot. I think it's possible. So Baylor hasn't been getting a whole lot of credit this year. No. And for whatever reason, they've got one loss. Okay, that's to Oklahoma. Uh, Up until that point, they had a top 15 strength of schedule. Mm -hmm. 
and they just weren't getting any respect. You know, Matt Rule probably going to win National Coach of the Year. You know, what he's done for that program over the last uh, couple of seasons, like he literally came in at ground bottom, you know, after the Art Bryles fiasco and oh, sure. and has resurrected the program. So, you know, it's a game against Oklahoma where they led 28-3, to 31-10 at halftime, and then they got shut out in the second half. You know, lost 34-31. to 31. Heartbreaker at Baylor. So if Baylor is able to knock off Oklahoma on Saturday, I'd have a hard time keeping them out because yeah. it feels like the committee, once again, for whatever reason, is staying away from the Big 12 this season. Hasn't been strong on the Big 12. We've seen them do this in the past with the Big 10. You know, Ohio State's been a team that's been spurned in the past. But, you know, there's just three teams in the Pac-12, Utah, Oregon, and USC, that finished the regular season better than 7-5. and five. Right. So we talk about how bad the ACC is. That's not good. No. The, the Utes lost to one of the teams, and they haven't played the other one that finished 7-5. and five. So they lost to USC. They hadn't played Oregon. They play Oregon. They have to win that game, obviously. Baylor's best chance to get in is to win. Utah to lose. Georgia to lose. That's best-case scenario for Baylor. But... They're not necessarily a lock either way. I don't think anybody's a lock. I Like I said, even if Georgia wins, I'm not sure they're a lock. Just because Georgia doesn't look like a college football playoff team right now. No, they do not. They have an all season. So let's talk about the Big 12 championship game first, Tim. This one's at AT&T Stadium. It's in Arlington, Texas. Noon Eastern, ABC. Oklahoma is a nine-point favorite. Only three times. Since the program was founded in 1899, has Baylor won 11 games in a season? And they did that last week against Kansas in a 66-6 win. So, really great year for them. Um, you know, it's a team that is ranked 17th in offense this year, 18th in defense. Average margin of victory is 36-18. to 18. Very balanced. Probably the best defense in the Big 12. You know, Oklahoma, on the other hand, Number one rated offense in the country, number 42 in defense, average margin of victory, 44-25. So the teams are similar. Obviously, Oklahoma has a much better offense, best offense of the country, compared to a weaker defense. And, you know, I think we saw a very competitive game in the, the first matchup this year. The second matchup typically doesn't live up to what we saw the first time, but I do think this will be a good game. And couple of things that I want to mention here so CD Lamb he didn't play in the first matchup he's a very dynamic wide receiver for Oklahoma he's got 50 catches for over a thousand yards and 14 touchdowns you know Jalen Hurts you know I don't know if he's going to New York as a Heisman finalist but he's had an absolutely incredible season absolutely 3,300 yards 31 touchdowns six picks he's also rushed for 1,200 yards and 18 touchdowns so just absolutely ridiculous numbers primary reason they're averaging 44 points per game charlie brewer on the other side obviously brother of michael brewer fan of the show he's having a great season you know he hasn't thrown a pick since october 12th that was a game he had three picks against texas tech he's only thrown six all year so he had one game with three picks the rest of the season he's only thrown three and again hasn't thrown an interception since october 12th 
He's got 20 touchdowns, just under 3,000 yards passing, completing 65% of his passes. He's a guy that can also do some damage with his legs. Got 10 touchdowns, 340 yards on the ground. You know, I think Baylor, they have something to prove in this game. Not just to themselves that they can beat Oklahoma, but to the committee that they are legit. And I'm going to go ahead and take Baylor in this one. I think they're a team that has been overlooked all season for whatever reason. If you go 12 and 1 in the Big 12 with a team like Oklahoma that you split with 1 and 1, you know, they beat Texas. You know, if you look at the blind resume test, they've got more wins against teams with more wins than Utah does. So if those two teams win and Georgia loses, I think Baylor's got to be in. We'll see if it happens. You know, I wouldn't be shocked to see this game extremely close potentially go to overtime but I do think Baylor figures out a way to pull it out yeah I mean that's certainly interesting and I would love Baylor to win this game uh you know just for the Brewer family in general I think that would make me extremely happy Uh, you know when it comes to the big 12 and these kind of big games I think the better offenses usually win for whatever reason the big 12 is the weirdest conference when it comes to these offenses and no one knows the air raid better than Lincoln Riley. Um, you know, and you got Jalen Hurts, who's playing so, so, so well. Um, the, the guy's been absolutely incredible. As you mentioned, I think he's got five interceptions on the year, five or six interceptions. For a guy that throws as much as he does, that's absolutely incredible. And obviously, he's racking up yards through the air. He's racking up touchdowns uh, through the air and on, you know, with his legs. Uh, the guy has just been, you know, another plug-and-play Oklahoma quarterback that we've come to accept at this point. I think that the Oklahoma offense is going to be too much again for Baylor. Now, I say too much. It's going to be barely too much. I think we'll see another game that's close to the 34-31 score that we had in their first meeting. Um, I think three points separates these two teams. I think that was fair the first time, and I expect another three- to seven-point win uh, for Oklahoma. But, you know, on these bright lights— these big stages, the team that's been there and done that tends to have a really, really big advantage. And in this case, uh, that to me is Oklahoma. So, you know, I I will say if Baylor does pull this game off, uh, what a freaking coaching job by Matt Rule that would have been or will have been to this point. Um, and to echo another point, which, which you were discussing, uh, the committee may be treating them unfairly. I see both sides of that coin, and I kind of dislike it. Um, with the way the committee has ranked teams in regards to their style points that they've been wanting these teams to have, um, you know, making and hoping that teams and ranking teams higher that beat teams by more, um, I really think that's a bad precedent uh, for the very reason that in college football, a win should be enough. You know, the goal of the game is to win, and teams win in different ways. Um, you know, a Matt Rule team isn't going to have the same amount of blowouts that a Lincoln Riley coach team will have, just based on their offenses alone and their personnel. Um, so what's happening uh, with Baylor and some of the disrespect? I think it's coming from the games that they've played. You know, they beat Rice 21-13. to They beat West Virginia 17-14. to They beat Texas Tech, a not-good Texas Tech team, 33-30. to um, But here's, so here's, here's my thing with it. Georgia is sitting there at number four with a horrific loss to South Carolina. I agree. Okay? They lost to South Carolina. Otherwise, they haven't looked great. 
they don't have style points. They've got a dominant defense and an offense that has underperformed all year. So, you know, I think for the most part, the rankings don't really matter. But then you look at Baylor, and they're sitting there at 11-1, and one, number 7. Okay? I don't have an issue, even though Oklahoma has the loss to Kansas State, who was unranked, still a team that finished 8-4. and four. I don't have an issue if you put Oklahoma 4, Baylor 5. Okay? But Baylor is 7. And they've got one loss to Oklahoma. Okay? So now they have to jump from either... Now they have to beat Oklahoma, which they're going to have to do anyway. Okay? So it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You have to beat Oklahoma. Now they're going to have to jump from 7 to 4 in hopes that Georgia also loses, which they probably will. And then Utah. So they're going to have to leap three spots to surpass Utah. Let's say Utah wins... That's going to be tough to do. You know, how do you move a team from 7 to 4 over a team that was ranked 5th that also won its conference championship? So, I mean, you just open yourself up to those questions. I think at the end of the day, if you look at the resumes, especially with the win over Oklahoma, you know, if Baylor were to do that, they have the stronger resume than Utah. So, I just think that where Baylor is positioned right now, we're not going to see them in the college football playoff regardless of what happens. We'll never know unless they win. So they need to go take care of business. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think the committee has, has made a mistake in that scenario because, yeah, you know, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 hasn't been, you know, phenomenal this year from top to bottom. But I think the Big 12 overall has been better. I and for whatever reason... I agree. It feels like the committee doesn't think that. Well, you know, and it's that it's that name recognition bias. I think that's going on with Georgia. The fact that they've been there uh, the past few years, and the fact that they play in the SEC, and they're one of the SEC blue bloods, that plays into a bias uh, on that selection committee, and, and that's a shame because if you do line up these programs and look at their resumes. Georgia, to me, is behind Utah, they're behind Baylor, and they're behind Oklahoma right now. Um, But that's not what we're seeing. And, um, you know, I I would love to see, and hopefully this happens, I would love to see a team given a chance. Now, I think it's it's probably a discussion that won't matter in the end because I expect uh, Joe Burrow to go ahead and beat Georgia and the LSU Tigers winning that game. But who knows? Um, and then you come with the counter argument, which is, okay, it should be a moot point because LSU wins, but if Georgia beats LSU, then Georgia's got to be in there. So, Well, you would think based off of how they're ranked, do I think right. they'd have to be in regardless? Uh, I think it's debatable. Uh, yeah, see, so let's I, talk about I, I that I think game. they're autom- automatic entry if they beat LSU, to me. You're, you're automatically in. Yeah. Mm. So do, you, do you put them ahead of LSU in the seating? I think you have to, right? I wouldn't. (laughs) Like, any team can win. True. On any given day. I don't think Georgia is better than LSU, regardless of the outcome. I don't either. So if if I'm on the college football playoff committee, from that standpoint, I have to put LSU ahead of Georgia. Right, but then again. Even though they just lost. What precedent does that set? I think that sets a bad precedent. LSU doesn't have a loss to four and seven South Carolina. 
Well, I want these championship says. games to matter to me. And they do, you, but the committee has proven in the past they don't necessarily care about these championships. Well, that's games. what I mean, and that's why I'm saying to me, I think you put Georgia ahead because I want these championship games to matter. Um, and we could go back and forth on this. There is but no I, right I answer. I also you want know the loss to South Carolina to matter. You lost yeah. to South Carolina. True. I mean, it, that's a bad one. Okay? That's a bad one. It's not like they have nine wins. Ten yeah. wins. They have four wins. Okay? I'm sorry. There are way too many good teams in college football for a team in the playoff that lost to a four-win team to be there. It just doesn't make any sense to me. You're looking at potentially two other teams that you're going to pick that have one loss, assuming Utah wins and either Oklahoma or Baylor, whichever one of those teams will have one loss, whoever wins. You're going to put in Georgia over a conference champion with one loss to the the worst team they lost to had eight wins. I'm sorry, I just I cannot get on that page. I'm just not there. Four no. and seven, South Carolina in overtime at your house on your turf. You're making you a you're making a passionate argument, and I agree that with most of it. That has to count for something. But here's my here's, tired, here's the I'm thing that I'm sitting because, here saying. Like I seriously, you take Georgia out of the SEC and you put them in any other conference in football, they're not in the top four right now. Tell no. me I'm wrong. No, Jake can go back where he came from. Was it, was that funny? Well done. Thank you. Okay, um, I'm with you on most of this. Uh, the only thing I will say is is maybe not so much on the LSU staying above Georgia if they win, but I just don't see that happening. I, just, I can't imagine that scenario with the way Jake has been playing, the way George has been playing specifically offensively, um, in the way that David Ar- David uh, what's his name? Is it Archer? Defensive coordinator. He's got a funny sure. last name uh, for LSU. 3-4 guy. Uh, very, very good defensive coordinator. Um, has that defense playing great. Obviously, Joe Burrow with the new spelling of B-U-R-R-E-A-U-X. Way to go, Cajun spelling, which I thought was fantastic on senior night. Is just incredible his footwork in the pocket his vision i can't get over how good that kid is playing right now uh, and Joe i don't burrow s- the swag factor that guy oh has right now off the charts off <laughs> the guy, charts he just walks around like he owns the state of louisiana right now i mean it's look, unreal the move that he made on senior night to have the the cajun spelling of his yeah. name on the back of that jersey was a top 10 boss move in sports history. I don't know if that came from him or if someone said, hey, Joe, it'd be cool if you did this. Whoever made these decisions nailed it. And in, not that he needed anything to be further endeared to that LSU fan base, but he is he will be so endeared to them for the rest of his life because you're talking about a guy, um, I believe, from Ohio. I think he's from a small town in he Ohio. Is. He is from Ohio, yes. Um, Went to Ohio State. Who, who was kind of an outsider, right? He was a transfer. Um, and he had a good season last year. He did. He did have a good but season. But you want to talk, a guy, a talk about a guy level. who is no longer from Ohio. Joe Burrow is a Cajun from the Bayou from that moment forward. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And holy tangent, now we're sitting out here arguing about, we're not even arguing, we're discussing something totally irrelevant right now to the college football playoffs. I'm happy to do it. Um, but I will say, you know, uh, 
people got to watch out for the dark horse. Alabama's got that demon magic, you know, and maybe the college football playoffs will try to sneak them in, even though uh, they don't deserve it at all. And I know that's a joke, but seriously, I wouldn't put it past them. So this game is 4 p.m. Eastern on CBS, Georgia at LSU, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, LSU seven-point favorite, uh, you know, and we've talked about Jake Fromm's struggles. He has been struggling with accuracy. He's under 50% completion percentage in his last four games, and only three sub-50% completion games in his entire career coming into the season. That's 29 games, okay? It's just not good. So something's going on there with Jake Fromm. The Georgia offense in general has just struggled to get rolling this year through the air. Only averaging 220 per game through the air. You know, this is a team that did lose its top five pass catchers from last year. Lawrence Cager seems to be the key Mm -hmm. for Jake Fromm. You know, he's a guy who's been on and off the field with injuries this year. But when he plays, Fromm has a 70% completion rate. When he doesn't play, Fromm has a 52.4% completion rate. That's insanity. So I'd say Cager is a key to the game for the University of Georgia. He needs to stay on the field uh, for them to have any shot. Uh, They also, you know, I think we talked about South Carolina game enough. (laughs) You know, rushing the ball is the strength of this team. Stopping the run is also a strength of this team. They're only allowing 71 yards per game. It's crazy. Okay. So... From from that standpoint, they're they're a tough team to figure out. You know, they play down to some opponents, they play up for others. You know, they showed out against Georgia, I thought. Um, but LSU's a different monster this year. You know, it's a team that I never thought I would say LSU ranks second in the nation in the most, you know, efficient offense in the country. Joe Burrow is just a star. Just plain and simple. He's the swaggiest of swag right now, likely going to win the Heisman. You know, they're number one in the conference, number two nationally in scoring, passing, and total offense, okay? Their offense is averaging almost 49 points per game and 560 yards per game this season. So it's a great defense. They're going up in Georgia, and typically a game like this, whenever you're going up against a great defense, it favors that team. Guess what? LSU has a really good defense as well. Georgia's offense is not good enough to score enough points in this game. I don't think Georgia has enough offensively to win. Can they win? Sure. There's a way that they could win. And I hate to write off Jake Fromm. I mean, Georgia was my pick in the preseason to win the national title. But they just don't look like a national championship caliber team to me this year. They don't look like a college football playoff caliber team to me this year. And I think there's a chance this game could get ugly. Just because I think LSU is on a different level, Coach O is, you know, one of the most lovable coaches you could have out there. You know, just I, I want to like just record his voice and just have it, <laughs> just whenever I'm feeling down and just listen to it. Just some like motivational quotes from Coach O. You know, it's so perfectly gravelly and Cajuny. But I, I just think you know we've talked about it. I just wanted to get that point across that. Georgia really has no business being ranked right now in the top four in the college football playoff. I think this weekend will kind of wipe them out entirely of being in the picture. They'll finish with two losses. They'll go to a big bowl game, I'm sure. But, yeah, I like LSU to win this one. 
And I think LSU may need some style points because as we're going to talk about between them and Ohio State, seeding is very important because that team that doesn't have the one next to their name, guess what? They get Clemson. And Clemson is a team that I am not going to want to face in the college football playoff because, like we cited before, that's a team that's been on a mission, that's a team that feels disrespected, and that's a team that's out to prove a point to the world that you will not disrespect me when I haven't lost a game 27 straight times. Yeah. Yeah, look. So style points needed for LSU in this one. I assume you're on the same page. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, I don't see Georgia winning this, you know, obviously with the way Fromm has played, the offense, and Dave Aranda, LSU's defensive coordinator, um, in his attacking 3-4 style of defense that is not super common in college football, but becoming more common than I guess it was, especially in the SEC, uh, where you have teams like Mizzou running the same kind of scheme, uh, as have been so effective all year. Um, and again, the key really is, look, LSU's got that great defense, but they line up with playmakers on the opposite side of the ball, and they got that guy named Joe Burrow, uh, the Cajun phenom from down on the bayou, hucking and chucking touchdown passes left and right. Uh, it, it doesn't look good for Georgia, and a Georgia team that's really kind of been sputtering here towards the end of the season, uh, you know, again, came back to life against Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech is who we thought they were in that case. Um, doesn't really tell you a whole lot about Georgia. You know, I, obviously, I think LSU is going to uh, win the SEC championship and, and be uh, one of the favorites to win the whole thing uh, up there with Clemson after they dispatch the Bulldogs. But, hey, crazier things have happened, and that's why they play these games. Uh, you know, Georgia could always sneak it with their defense especially. But, um, you know, should be fun at least to watch. I just love watching Joe Burrow play football, man. Yeah, no, I mean, he's he's something. There's There's no doubt. Uh, last game we will feature Big Ten Championship, 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox, Lucas Oil Stadium, Indianapolis, Indiana. Number one, Ohio State against number eight, Wisconsin. Ohio State is a 16 and a half point favorite. So OSU, they've been one of the most dominant teams in college football this season. Number four rushing defense in the country, number two passing defense. They have a number of great players on that D, but the two that stand out. Defensive back, kind of a whip linebacker, Sean Wade and Chase Young, obviously, who is the stud defensive end, probably would have been in the Heisman conversation had he not had a service suspension. Um, But he is back, ready to go. One of the most dominant pass rushers we will see. Ohio State is really starting to churn those guys out with the Bosa's and now Chase Young. Chase Young's going to be a top two pick in the NFL draft most likely. Uh, they're also pretty good on offense. I don't know if you've heard. They rank fifth in total offense nationally. Justin Fields has also showed out. He's battled a knee injury over the last few games. He seemed to re-aggravate it against Michigan, but was able to come back in through a couple of touchdowns after that. He's got a 37-1 to touchdown to interception ratio this year. Is that good, Tim? That is elite. Okay, got it. So Wisconsin dropped two in a row earlier this season they let Ohio State beat them twice I think they had a stunner to Illinois the week before playing Ohio State then they lost to Ohio State 38 to 7 and up until that point Wisconsin had looked like a dominant team especially defensively Uh, they're a team that is very good on defense Uh, offensively you know they've got an efficient quarterback in Jack Cohn uh, but this offense runs through Jonathan Taylor all right so 
He's had four 200-yard games this season, only three games where he didn't eclipse 100 yards. If they have any shot of winning this game, they're going to have to dominate the time of possession, and they're going to need Jonathan Taylor to one round. Okay, so both teams, like we mentioned, very good defensively. Ohio State allows 91 on the ground, Wisconsin 96. OSU allows 140 through the air, Wisconsin 180. So you wouldn't expect that there's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. In the first matchup, Ohio State dominated 38-7. I'd be surprised if there's a repeat of that. Although, I do think if we're looking at these teams, Ohio State is much more talented from top to bottom than Wisconsin. And, you know, Wisconsin is an offense that ranks 36 nationally. That's, I mean, that's good. Um, they've reeled off four straight wins, two-point victory over Iowa. You know, the other three they've won by multiple touchdowns, including a big win over Minnesota 38-17 last week. You know, I think this game will stay close, closer than the LSU-Georgia game in my estimation. But I think the return of Chase Young, assuming Sean Waite plays, he didn't play against Michigan, you know, that's going to be the key to Ohio State's success defensively. And I think those guys are just too strong um, for Wisconsin to overcome. I think OSU wins. I'm not sure the style points will be there. I think it opens the door for LSU to jump to that number one position. But, you know, we'll see how it shapes up. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of on the, not the opposite camp, but I, I think Ohio State's going to win this one much in the same fashion they won the first one. Look, Ohio State's just unstoppable right now in offense. When you got Justin Fields, that's, you know, that's hard enough to deal with. But you have J.K. Dobbins, who's uh, looked like the best back in the nation all year, right up there with Etienne. Um, and the guy's an absolute machine, averaging 6.6 yards a carry, 19 touchdowns. Um, you know, if you throw in the receiving yards, he's almost at 1,900 yards from scrimmage this year, which is just insanity. When when you have a balanced attack in the way that they do, it's almost impossible to game plan against, and it's, it's hard to muddy up the game when you have a team that can go uh, completely vertical on you uh, and, and just start tearing you up through the air and also grind clock when need be. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's too much. And Wisconsin, yeah, they're in the top 10. They haven't necessarily looked like a top 10 team to me. They're fairly one-dimensional when it comes to Jonathan Taylor. Uh, tailback, uh, if you would. Uh, JTT has been held up uh, pretty hard. And, and you know, he, he's he's run. He's a workhorse. He's gotten his yards. Um, but you know what Wisconsin is going to do much in the same way that you know what UVA is going to do. Um, and, and, you know, in this stage of the game, this late in the game, uh, I think Ohio State's defense will be able to handle uh, you know, JTT and whatever he throws at him. And, and I, I do think JTT is going to get his yards. It's not saying that I don't think he's going to have a good game. I just think they're going to be able to limit them enough and limit him enough to where you're going to be dealing with a Wisconsin that's not going to score a whole lot against this defense. And, you know, how do you slow this Ohio State offense down? Um, I don't think Wisconsin has the athletes or the ability to do that. So, you know, Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins, uh, give Ryan Day, I think, the Big Ten uh, championship game here, and they go on ready to compete in the uh, college football playoffs. Yeah, so we will see how it shapes up uh, on Sunday or you know your Monday when when the show drops. We will uh, we'll have the ACC bowls for you. We'll react to the college football playoff seating, and then of course uh, recap the ACC championship game. But you know, Tim, before we sign off here, any last words? I just can't believe it's over. 
Justin. I, I can't believe the regular season has come to a close. This is um, another football uh, season that feels, feels like it just started two weeks ago, and we're already talking about conference championship previews. And uh, that's kind of sad in a way, man. Um, you know, I, I love the coaching carousel. I love bowl season. But, you know, I really just wish football season would start to slow down. Yeah, it's a football season that that was one that will not be forgotten uh, by many, by many fan bases. But, you know, as you and I are Virginia Tech alums, just a really fascinating season. Um, and I think it's setting up to be uh, a good ending. You know, it, it didn't look like it was going to have one um, after the first few games. So I think from that standpoint, I'll look back on 2019 as potentially a turning point, or hopefully we will. Uh, obviously, time will tell. But, yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. It's over. You know, this is the final week of the – it's really kind of the regular season is over. This is just championship week before we head into bowl season. And, uh, yeah, after, after this, we'll be coming to you once a week uh, on Mondays. Um, talking about football, you know, it's a little bit of basketball happenings and, you know, whatever, whatever else is, uh, is going on around the ACC. So thanks for joining the show. We are Chatter and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You can listen to us on any podcast platform. Apple Podcasts, Spotify seem to be the faves. Do us a favor, go ahead and uh, leave a review. And uh, follow us on Twitter. We'd love to talk with you. And Tim, why don't you tell those tell these guys what kind of review they can leave for us? Uh, positive reviews, hopefully. Um, if you like what you've great. heard, yeah, go ahead and give us that old five star review. It helps us out, uh, you know, immensely as in in regards to getting in front of people and making sure our podcast pops up on Tim, the old search filters. How Yo, many uh, fingers do you have? I have five. Oh, that's how many stars I'd love. Wow, that's a weird coincidence. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, same thing with the feet. Five toes, five stars. Go ahead and leave those reviews. We really appreciate it. Keep listening. Keep sharing all of our content. Uh, you know, that helps a lot, too. And you guys have been great about that, uh, leading to, uh, you know, a, a large increase in our Twitter followers. And while we're not necessarily too worried about that Twitter follower account, it is cool that we're up near 1,000 followers. So, um, maybe you guys could get us over the hump as far as that uh, is concerned. And, and go ahead and keep listening. Uh, that's the most important thing. So subscribe. We appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And, and we will be with you guys every week, almost, uh, until next college football season. So don't worry. We intend to, to keep turning out episodes. Um, I guess that's it for me, uh, for Justin. I'll go ahead and, and you know leave us with in memory of you know one of our finest friends, one of the best mustaches in college football. Uh, I'll sign off with Justin and I are just a bunch of guys being dudes, and what's better than that? See you guys later.